0: Welcome
1: to episode 454 with my guest, James Ranzone. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Now, this show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling I am a jackass, former stand-up comedian and TV host, and, uh, I just like talking about the subject matter, so I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is metalpod.com, metalpod, also the social media handles you can follow us at. I created a survey last week that you guys have been taking and I love it so much. The name of the survey is Loves, and I've been in a bit of a funk lately, which I'll uh, get into a little bit later, but it has really boosted my mood just reading through some of these and just reminding me how much positivity and awesomeness there is in in the world. This one was filled out by Stephanie, and if you want to fill out our surveys, we have about a doesn't just uh, different surveys that you can fill out anonymously. We don't even record the IP address, so people feel free to share whatever it is that you want, and you can use a su- pseudonym um, for the name. Stephanie shares her love. I love the feeling I get when a password I wasn't sure would work works. So agree, so agree. It's almost like you're 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 taking a time machine back to the version of you that created the password, you're like, okay, I get the old me. I understand the, the, the way the old me worked. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Ninja Unicorn and about her ADD, ADHD. She writes, I currently have the TV on, a podcast on, 13 tabs open on my computer, and playing a game on my iPad. I think the Adderall is worn off. Oh, a piece of candy. Did I leave the stove on? (laughs) About her anxiety. Getting anxiety and obsessive thoughts over my parents dying that all I can do is lay on the floor and breathe into a paper bag. About her bulimia and recovery, but I miss throwing up so hard that blood comes up and knowing that if there's blood, then I can get everything bad out. About her anorexia. In recovery, but I miss being able to count each vertebrae on my protruding spine. She's going deep, man. About her PTSD, I still can't be touched by another human being without flinching. About her bipolar too, wondering if I actually like a guy or if it's just another manic episode setting in. And then a snapshot from her life. Staying in bed most of the day, not showering yet again, haven't done the laundry or vacuumed the house, but then getting this burst of nervous energy and starting to pull apart my closet because it must be recognized right this, must be reorganized right this fucking second. It's like my bipolar disorder and ADHD are in a cage match and I'm the chair they keep hitting each other with. my God, those are so good. Those are so good. Thank you for that. Uh, This is from the Love Survey, filled out by our former guest, Marini Goodyear. And uh, she writes I love surfing. It's the only time that I am free from chronic stress and anxiety. It's like jet fueled mindfulness. No time to think when a wall of water is barreling towards me. I just do. I I love that feeling when the waves are kind of big and they're kind of scary. And and that wall of water comes at you and you're like, oh my God, I might die. And then you don't. (laughs) It sounds so ridiculous, but it's so true. It's so true. Margaret fills out her love, cutting into a perfectly ripe avocado. I love watching my girlfriend make me guacamole or as uh, I should pronounce it, guacamole? Am I pronouncing it? I'm always asking her, baby, am I pronouncing this right? She's from Ecuador. And um, I just love that feeling of being cared for by another person of, you know, there there's this um, book out. I think it's called The Language of Love. And the author identifies five different love languages. And each person has a particular love language that means more to them than the other languages. For instance, one of the languages is someone doing an activity for you, helping out in some way. Another love language is praise. Another one is being given gifts, uh, things like that. And for me, when someone makes an effort on my behalf, like when she makes me guacamole, uh, I just... It's like proof that that I'm lovable and 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 she's committed to me. And it's fucking awesome. Oh my god, she she knows what she's doing. Uh, one of our sponsors for today is BetterHelp.com, and my counselor Donna really has been helping me. I, you know, I mentioned that that I've been in a bit of a funk lately, and one of the things that she helped me identify is uh, I got divorced in, well, we separated in August of 2016, my ex and I, we were married for together for 28, almost 29 years, married for about 20 of them. And one of the things I've yet to do is get all my stuff out of the garage. And my therapist, when I shared that with her said, you know, I, I, I think you need to get the rest of this stuff out of there because that's your way of avoiding the feelings of finality of this. And I entered into this depression once I realized that that's what I had to do. And it's not that I want to get back with my ex. I think us splitting was definitely for the best, but we have been together 28 years and as I began cleaning the last of the stuff out of the garage, all these feelings of sadness came up. Um, it, some of the feelings were positive, remembering, you know, the days when I was in there happily woodworking and making stuff for the house, making stuff for her. And, you know, my therapist said that the Two of the main causes of situational depression are feelings of loss and feelings of failure. And I think I was feeling and trying to avoid feeling both of those. And so I've been experiencing those lately and some stuff around the podcast and, um, and I'm trying to work through them, man, but it's hard because I just want to shut down and avoid feeling them. And all of that is to say, it, my therapist is awesome. And if you haven't tried online counseling, I think BetterHelp is a great way to check it out. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you're coming from the podcast. Fill out a questionnaire. And then if they have A counselor that they think is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. We are also sponsored today by Jetson Probiotics. Uh, 90% of the serotonin in your body can be found in your gut, which is why having a healthy gut has a huge impact on our mental health. And to get a healthy gut, you need to have good, good flora in there And uh, an effective probiotic is the way to do it. And Jetson is the world's first seasonal probiotic. They send you a fresh bottle to your door every month and a new formulation every season. For instance, the summer one is called Fit. And the fall one, which I'm switching to shortly, is called Mood. And it's designed to promote a more positive mental state. So I think you should try it out. Go to WeAreJetson.com and enter code MENTAL for 30% off your first month. That's WeAreJetson.com with the code MENTAL for 30% off your first month. Uh, and I'll put the links, as always, to all of these things on our, uh, on our website. And then uh, one more survey before we get to the interview with James. This is a love filled out by Ella Minot. And she writes, I love watching the mist rise up off the grass on a cool fall morning. I love the way my little dog, Dave, I love any dog named Dave, stands on the center console between the driver and passenger seats. And every once in a while, he turns and gives me a smooch. And then parentheses, okay, we smooch each other. I love also when a customer picks up one of my pots and says, this one is mine. I've got to assume that uh, she's uh, a, a potter. Is that the right word? That she's crafting uh, ceramic pots. Or maybe she's old school and it's her chamber pot and somebody's excited about claiming her chamber pot. Anyway, I love the feeling of my bed when my muscles start to relax and I am warm and safe and tomorrow is a new start.
0: Nobody's Nobody's cool and everyone's scared and we're just just all all in in this this together. together. There was no joy. Overeating.
1: Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically.
0: I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming
1: the woman that I feared. He said, There's going to be a second hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die.
0: Sometimes I just go, Hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I'm out. You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with. I'm gonna stop it. Fucking someone else. It's okay to be
1: Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly?
0: I don't. We, I get in a long conversation with my family about this. I don't know. Yes. Ranson or Ranson. I don't know. I, I'm from Baltimore, so it's a horrible accent. Yeah. Everybody's mouth is usually said, full of crab. So well, we said, know. yeah, well, we said Ranson for a long time, and then we, it was really funny, uh then people would say Ranson because it was like we were Italian or something, but that's not true. And somebody in the family took a 23andMe test, and it turns out my entire family history had been lied about. <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
1: What a great place to start for the podcast.
0: Uh, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're uh, a
1: a sober guy, uh, and you're in a couple of different support groups. You you got your share of demons, I think, which is so true for probably most people, uh, but especially people who are creative. But uh, some people may know you from um, The Wire as Ziggy. You were on the second season of that. Some people might know you
0: from, uh, was it Corporal Person? Yeah. Person generation, from generation kill. kill um and then the sinister movies that was what people get and then i've been in it on off and on some big stuff some small stuff you know yeah, yeah.
1: well i i enjoy your work and Thanks. so when your publicist reached out i i, I thought he seems like he's got uh, you know some <laughs> some shit going on that informs his art let's uh yeah let's have him on and and talk about that yeah, it's
0: usually trauma right <laughs>
1: Sometimes just pure malaise, but uh, you know. Yeah. You were born in in Baltimore. You were born in 1979. Um, what's what's the the history of your your genealogy being lied about? What's oh
0: well that must go back transgenerationally without since, getting since down a rabbit hole. I'd say but, since the Mayflower. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so I grew up in. Baltimore, I was born in 79, you know, late 70s. Baltimore is a very working class Catholic city, you know, uh, still is very much to this day. Um, but then there's a lot of substance abuse and dysfunction on both sides of the family. And, and you know, and I think the sad part about that is every family feels like they're so unique, right? That mm-hmm. don't, what is it? Don't talk, don't feel just don't feel. There's, like, the three things that kind of define it. Alcoholics. Yes. You know, don't trust, don't talk, don't feel. Yeah. They're, right? The, yeah.
1: And, and Baltimore, whenever, maybe it's just the, the stuff that I've watched about Baltimore, but it just seems like it, if Baltimore were a person, it would have slumped shoulders.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe, but it also would tell you the truth. Yeah? <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, John, <laughs> it like produced John Waters. You know? It's like
0: a bum, like, being like, well, your shirt looks stupid. <laughs> you know, like, you know what? He's not wrong. <laughs> You know, <laughs> everybody I know from Baltimore, it's it's there's a a certain type of um it's just, there's a certain type of candor that I've never experienced yeah. anywhere else in the world. Th- people from Philadelphia are like that, too. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, it seems to be much more of an East Coast thing than a Midwest thing. A Midwest thing the people can be honest, but avoid talking, you know, speaking about the elephant in the room.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. you mean, like my it's basically everyone in the. Uh in the midwest is like my mom's side of the family
1: i remember riding in in a van one time i was going to do a a show with a bunch of other stand-ups and there was a manager there who's kind of notorious east coast go-getter and he turned to this other comedian uh and he said didn't you try to kill yourself or something (laughs) Like in front of a van full of people, and and this guy had tried to kill himself. Yeah, yeah. And and I just remember, just like wanting to pull my hair out. I felt so uncomfortable.
0: Well, I my now that I'm a little older, and I kind of like I feel like I understand where that comes from a little bit. Not not of why that person said like, didn't you try to kill yourself? Because you can you can take that on as being mean or like mm-hmm. or. uh or like too harsh right certainly the timing and the place yeah yeah. and and sometimes though i think and i find this with myself too is that like families with high levels of dysfunction and and especially when there's um substance abuse that that and again if you get into this idea that addiction is a family disease that means that everyone in the family experiences the symptoms of addiction Mm -hmm. in one way or another right that, That what your friend was actually doing was he was pointing out the elephant in the room because he probably, his reality had probably been negated by... You didn't feel that. That's not what you're, th- that's not what you saw. Mm-hmm. That's not what your father meant. That's not what your mother meant. Like, we're just gonna pretend that that didn't happen. And as, and it's almost like you have to say what's going on out loud to validate your own reality. Cause I had that problem. I, I, I need to, I have to lean back sometimes and be like, well, you have to be sensitive to people. And understand like they might not be ready for the truth, even though for a long time i would be like, "This is exactly how it is because I'm so sick of people trying to convince me that my reality is something else it, it, It's hard sometimes too to know what is the difference between
1: honesty being used to claim my truth and honesty being used as a weapon against somebody else because I want to control or manipulate
0: them sure, but I think anybody who does who tries to control or manipulate them is not doing it maliciously they're doing it because they honestly believe that 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 version of the truth is better or real or somehow more valid than theirs and so they're not Doing that evil on purpose, and that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like, when the,
1: the 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 wound that is left feels like it was done with malice, because it doesn't really wounds don't really care but, but where they do from. Malak but people don't
0: not. do that, though. People are just every 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 uh, perpetrator is just a. a, a justified victim you know like no no one has ever woken up in the history of time and be like i'm gonna do some really evil shit today and just like go i I think like you might i I, i've seen people that get maybe some sort of like pleasure at a certain point in Mm -hmm. like sadistically doing things to people but i don't i don't feel like that that's where it starts right I don't feel like that, that's like the starting. That, that's not the mark. That's even not where pure, it begins. Even pure psychopathy was, was nurtured. In, in some way. way. And I think sometimes those people, there was like that concept of like genetic diathesis. It was like they were just easier to push over the line, mm-hmm. you know. But I just don't. I just refute. If I don't believe that every human being has the capacity to love and be loved and be whole and i start making judgments about them i will in turn become the prosecutor and the ju- and and then we get into a whole and the whole mess starts all over again and i just i don't i can't afford to do that so i have to really believe that that the best in people can be cultivated. It's just not my business to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not the one. I'm not, I'm not God. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's that simple. It's just, I'm not God. And that's the, where it gets really advanced, where it's like, okay, I'm going to let this person kind of like go ahead and believe all that crazy shit that they believe. Yeah.
1: So, so give me some snapshots from your childhood. It kind of paints a, a, a picture emotionally of, uh, the interactions of your family, how
0: you viewed yourself, how you viewed the world. I was very sensitive. My IQ tested very high when I was a kid, like over 130, something, I think, like pretty young too. And um, that's, but by the way, I don't necessarily know if that's like a barometer for success or I don't, I don't, that's, that's stuff it's not interesting to me. Like it's, or even saying like, I have this It's just, I think that all the reason I'm saying that is I was more attuned to being sensitive to my environment or aware of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, half of the family came from kind of like low economic standards and that will all, all already, that type of stress will lead to sort of like a short tempered style of parenting. Uh, that was my dad's side. My dad, was a, uh, is a vietnam vet he's still alive and and i think that uh knowing some vets that survived from iraq it's like you know the ptsd is just alive and well and you can never really shake it off um, the, the gift that keeps on giving oh yeah you know it was like his childhood was like vietnam and then he decided just to go to vietnam you know and then i think he just kind of that what was, do you mean his child? Tri- oh, I see his trial. Yeah, it was, it was like he was already he was already prepared. He's <laughs> he already go prepared to fight a war. You know what yes. I mean? He was yeah. always in fight or flight, like probably since yeah. a kid. Well, if
1: you if you read uh, autobiographies by Navy SEALs, so many of them grew up in hyper vigilant environments, and so it's just a natural fit for them to feel comfortable with really high stakes.
0: Yeah, this, and then you're like, what are you talking about? Like, isn't this reality? It's like, no, this is your cortisol levels must be off the charts it's like you've never experienced parasympathetic once in your life you know and that was what it was like to grow up in my house and you know my parents like they really did do the best they could coming from the circumstances they that they did but i don't feel like they they got they really kind of conceptualized or grasped or faced or however it it nets out um the level of dysfunction that was occurring, you know, but, but okay. that's not to their, I mean, you know, well, I, yeah, I go and back I was, and forth with this where it's like, we didn't know better. It's like, well, you, you did. I, and I don't mean this about specifically about my parents. It's like, no, we do know better. Like, I, I, that, that's the one thing I don't like as an excuse. Like, we just, it was back then and we didn't know better. It's, I don't, I have to not believe that either because if we, if, if I, if I take that, then I give everybody an excuse to say, like, you don't, have the capacity to live up to your fullest realized potential
1: and, and the thing that i love hearing is i'm so sorry how can i try to make this right
0: that is such a great w- way to move forward well it's- most people don't know how to make a true apology yeah and i think that that i don't know whether that's a western thing i don't know what the, it is or a human you know that literally historically the number one deadliest of all sins was pride Right. Like pride and that pride is that I know what I'm doing and I did it correctly. And so you hear a lot of apologies that are pride based, which is I'm sorry, but I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. There's no, there's no but after an I'm sorry and I'm sorry is, is hey, you know what? Like I did a thing that hurt you and now I'm considering from your position how that would have, if I were you, how I would have reacted, and I can see your point. And so, if you accept my apology or not, or forgive me, it's up to you, but will you please tell me what I can do to correct it in the world by sort of, um, you know, uh, neutralizing the karmic field, (laughs) you know what I mean That that's what an apology is yeah and once I learned that it became very became very frustrating to argue with my wife she'd be like I'm sorry but and I'd be like no 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 just then you're not sorry don't fucking say it you know
1: and, long, and and I have you,
0: to, you know. How long have you been married? I've been married for two years, but we've been together for 10. Okay.
1: Uh, going back to, to your childhood, give me, give me some snapshots if you, if you can. I, I, I like to get specific if, uh, I, somebody I just,
0: can recall moments that. Oh man, I can, re- yeah, of course. I can recall, recall so many moments. It was like, you know, I was really scared growing up in my house and I went to this private school. I was a small kid and I remember I, I promised, like, my house was, because my dad was scary. Because my dad was still fucked up from Vietnam. And, and I don't want to get too much because they're still alive and... I don't want to spill their beans and but but I can tell you stuff that happened with me specifically like it felt unsafe it's fairly It to was say. yeah to, well yeah that's all alcoholic dysfunctional mm-hmm. homes feel unsafe that is uh, that is literally how I define trauma now mm-hmm. it's like did you not feel safe where you grew up then you experienced trauma And would you
1: also include feeling unheard and unseen as uh, under no, the umbrella I've, of not No feeling no no safe? no because I was allowed like I, you know, like but the I, authentic you being seen because you can you can attract I, the, attention. But, but, but
0: I started getting into this where I didn't even start to consider who the authentic me was, I think, until much later in life, which was like, which I've only started to do in the last couple of years, which is like, what do I like to do? You know, and that's a re- revelation to be like, I don't know. Well, know? Let, let me ask you
1: this. Did you, was there a sense when you were a kid that your parents were tuned into your needs beyond shelter, food and schooling?
0: They tried the best that they knew how. Because if I just say no, that's a lie. And I then I start to see myself as a victim. Okay. But I do know that that because I was so terrified, um, like I went to this private school for one year of middle school in um I went to this private school for one year of middle school in Baltimore. Um and it was around a bunch of rich kids and I was not from a rich background. And and because I feel like I was small and scared of being at home and like they could tell that I was scared, like I became an easy target. Like I remember like promising um, these kids like I could get, get them like Guns and Roses and Metallica tickets. And like I knew I couldn't because I just wanted to be accepted, you know. And then like I painted myself into a corner so, so sort of like by being a liar. And then I became a liar. And then... I got bullied, you know, and it's, that's informed by what I was experiencing. I started to recreate my reality outside of my, you know what I mean? Outside of my house by what I learned or what I experienced inside. And so I think for me, do you know what, do you know about, um, and then I got beat up like a couple of times after that. Like, I mean, I got beat up a lot all through middle school and, uh some skinheads jumped me actually like the week before I left to go to New York so i there's a lot of violence and a lot of violence around me growing up a lot was that your neighborhood um some of it was my neighborhood some of it's just being in baltimore some of it's just i feel like you you magnetize that stuff towards yourself what what were, do you remember thinking or feeling
1: in the worst of the the moments in your childhood when you just felt at your lowest your thoughts about maybe yourself or the world or if you can recall if you can't that's a
0: yeah i mean of course i think like i just go my whole default position on that was always like you know you you can't when you're little you get mad at god you're like why would there be a god that exists that does this to people you know and i realized uh, and then i would always go into like i'm so irredeemable that you can't you know do i'm such an irredeemable something must be fundamentally wrong or broken with me and then you vacillate between that belief about yourself into being like well you're an asshole because you know and so you polarize yourself and so you find yourself either being on these opposite ends of the spectrum it's like i'm such a piece of shit or like you're such an asshole or the truth is you're probably somewhere the truth is probably somewhere in the middle yeah you know yeah
1: we love to think we're the king or the peasant yeah
0: totally and it's we're we're not really either of those things but but the hard part the hardest part for me and I mean this as an adult is that I never had anybody be able to admit what just had happened I would just get it swept right under the rug and inside your family outside my family family. okay can you
1: give me any examples
0: Oh man, I mean it happens on a, like, you know, like I don't want to get too deep into it, but I, I would, I, I, you know what, I'll come back after my parents die, and
1: okay. I'll tell you the whole
0: thing, like for real, because I want to. Is respect it okay them. if I facilitate their early deaths? No, just for no. the they're, release they're, of the. They're great. They're great people, and I right. love, I love them deep, yes. and I love them deeply, and and I. I am not the victim of I of think them.
1: that James I think that comes across clearly and uh, I
0: apologize if it no, seems no, like no, I'm no. trying to throw No 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 parents no 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 no, no, no. I cuz I've had I've experienced the worst trauma that a human being can experience I think as a child um, in in multiple ways that happened outside of my family too sexual very serious sexual abuse uh, from people not inside the family um Are you but comfortable as, talking about that uh no because it's it's not um it's it's not that I'm not comfortable talking about it because I am because I feel like it could be helpful. It's just the means in which I was able to deal with it don't uh like we were talking about previous to the show. Mm-hmm. You know? Um but I've experienced I think that's not fair. I don't know what the worst a human being could experience is. Because I don't I didn't grow up in a war zone. I didn't grow up like with my Literally, like you know, like there are people that live grew up in Kosovo, and what about losing on Dancing with the Stars? Where yeah, does, that, yeah, where does they, that where does write? that fall into the spectrum of it's suffering? It's got to be in the top ten. <laughs> where does it fall in this? I, but that's not true. People experience suffering the same way. You, yeah, they, yeah. They, you can't. You I can't, think of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for
1: for Meaning, and he talks about suffering as a gas that will expand itself in your brain regardless of what the situation is. hundred so percent. And, and and I, that, that makes sense to me. And so,
0: but, but, but like scenes from my household, I mean, it's, it's still going on today, which is the like, you, you know, having somebody scream at you and say something and I'll be like, you just said that. And they're like, no, I didn't. And so what I don't, what I, what I still struggle with is thinking that I'm insane. Right? Like, that's what I still struggle with is like, that's not what you just heard. We're going to invalidate your reality and we're going to stick to it because we don't, we can't. We cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, maybe admit that we might be wrong, because if we pull that pin, where does this end? The whole Jenga thing is going to fall down, because if I have to admit that I was wrong about this, then I have to admit that I was wrong about this. And then maybe I go back and back and back and back, and then my whole story that I've told myself about myself becomes unraveled, and then truly, who am I, where is my identity exist and so you know about i'm sure you've talked about this too but this is this is what i find the most fascinating now just sort of like existing in the world is the idea of the roles that we all play that get assigned to us mm-hmm. in, the, in the family unit yeah. right so you've either got um you know and and you, and i like to label it via the lens of uh alcoholism or addiction because i don't i don't like getting into the like well they've got borderline or narcissism or because like they the symptoms all start to look the same and it's so you've usually got the addictive sort of damaged alcoholic person. That's number one. That's the chief in the family, right? Mm-hmm. The big cheese. That's the one running the show. Then you've got the enabler, the person who's the obsessed with the al- alcoholic. And then usually the next thing that happens down the line in terms of like the offspring is you'll get the golden child or the hero. Now, those people tend to grow up to be like doctors, nurses, priests, psychologists, um, you know, like the Nate, Nate in the Marines, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, police officers, and they're the helpers. They're the ones that help out. They're the ones that are going to fix the family. They can take care of themselves. They can close them, clothe themselves, do all that stuff. Then the next down the line, you have the um, you have the scapegoat or the identified patient right the identified patient it's like that's the one that the family pins all their problems on no it's that his he's the crazy they're the bull if he
1: wasn't stealing we yeah, wouldn't if, all if, be
0: arguing a hundred percent right so yeah. you have that and then the next one down the line is you have the lost child the one that fades into the background right if they i'm just going to disappear they're the first ones to move away from home right they move great distances they don't really come back for family reunions and then at the very bottom you have the mascot. Right. And you have the mascot is the one a family's fighting and they notice they find out that they're a kid. They do some funny joke or they knock something over um, that, uh, would, would you, be, you know, it'll, def, it'll deflate the whole thing. Right. Is so that for, kind of the mediator as well? Yeah, no, they're not the media. They're the they're the comedian. Right. I so the com- the mascot's the comedian. I got you. By the way, the mascot in the family unit in, is always the first one to commit suicide. Which is crazy, right? They're the funny ones. So that's where you're like, oh, Chris Farley, like all that lineage of those funny guys. It was like that was just how them coping in the world, yeah. existing under the same sort of like role that was assigned to them in that dysfunctional family union. For me, split right down the middle, I got both the golden child by nature of the fact that I was like talented at acting. Because I was talented at pretending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? And then I got the scapegoat. And the scapegoat is always the first one to get help, right? And that they they're weird because they they also are the emissary of the family. So they're literally like they the family pins all the problems onto it and they go send them out in the world, and the, they're usually the first one to get help, and then the family resents them for getting help. Yes. Yes. We need to get you. They're help. like, we want you to get it, we need you to get it. not that much help because then what's your role, right? Go get help, but do not come back with the truth. Right. Don't come <laughs> back with the truth. And then what's interesting is I have a sibling who we're not, we're estranged right now, and it would seem to me, and this, and, and again, I don't want to get too much into it. It would seem to me that it split exactly down the middle for him, where he was the lost one in the mascot, mm-hmm. you know. And it's fucking crazy because I can see that in any dysfunctional family now. Now I'll talk, I'll listen to someone literally for two minutes, mm-hmm. talk about their family, and within I can ask maybe one or two questions and figure out what their role is in the family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's set It's actually weirdly pathetic.
1: Sometimes I'll see somebody, you know, just overly trying to perfect something that doesn't need any more fiddling, and I'll just want to say, "Was it
0: mom or dad that drank?" <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But that's the other thing too. Is like you might have two parents that neither of them drank, and they could still. You could trace it back, and I bet you you find out there's a lot of stuff that happened with their parents, mm-hmm. right? Like, or
1: the, or they're workaholics, or right? Know,
0: just some something that tunes you out, right? S- something, something that, that takes, keeps you out of the present moment, you know? Yeah. I but, mean, and it ultimately isn't
1: that the real enemy is whether it's fantasy, addiction, anger,
0: violence. We're, addi- we're addicted to not being here. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. a great way of putting it. Is yeah. And so what I realized for me is cause I just had a son and, um, I've never, of course it's not like everything became, I don't look, I'm very fortunate to have my job, but like, so what? <laughs> <laughs> so what about any of it? Right. And I have this wife who's seen me through the worst. That thing was like a gut rebuild. And that was a lot of that was on me, you know? And, um,
1: how do you, can you be more specific?
0: Just, uh, I had a lot of shit to work out even after I stopped drinking and doing drugs. Like we never, I didn't really get down to why I, you, unless you get down to why you drank and, excuse me, did drugs to begin with. Right. Good fucking luck. Right, you were in pain first, right? Like you had to had something you had to introduce something to calm down that nervous system, right? right. Yeah, so right, and you had to, all that trauma that you had to like press out. It was like you finally get your medicine, and but I didn't deal with any of that stuff, and and I had met her at a time where I was all the I had I had given up all the the drinking and doing drugs, but the rest of the vices were still very much there, and and the addiction of not being here and not being present and not being cool to her on a in a myriad of ways and all the ways that one could not be cool. Would, would you classify other. yourself as, as having control issues? I think everybody does who experiences some trauma like that because they don't want to, you know what I mean? They, because again, it's like, if I let go, if I let go of anything, then so, then the, the worst thing that could happen to me will. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's just a vague feeling. Yeah. It's know. like, I just know
0: the nuclear bomb. And you know, it's like that was, I when, yeah, it was like when, when, We first started to try to have a kid. I was like, we're never going to have a kid because it's the worst case scenario. You know, and I go right to like if my cat, my one cat who I love so much gets out for too long. I'm like, oh, she's dead. Yeah. Within 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. And the other night I was like, that's insane that that's where my head goes. makes total sense to me. It yeah. makes total sense right. to me.
1: Because s- then you're prepared and you're, you know, in your warped mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Like, yeah, this is the way to approach it. Is, yeah, it's it, like, it's-
0: let's just expect the absolute worst. And then not only expect it, but assume that it's true.
1: Which which is essentially what they do with Navy SEALs. Oh, really? Oh, it, really? oh, yeah. Is okay. they, they are to anticipate everything going wrong so that they can follow the flow chart of What? Oh, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's
0: expect for the worst. Um, So, what's interesting to me though is that, like, again, the stuff with my wife. I just had this kid, and I realized, oh, I'm the big cheese now in the family. I'm the guy who, given the choice, I'm the one that I'm the I'm the director of the show. So, I get to hand out. If I want to have a dysfunctional family, well, then I get to hand out the role of what my kid is. And I was like, this is not what I want. He, I just want him to be whatever he is. And what I'm really realizing, I think, on some level is that, and this is going to be very difficult for a lot of people to hear because it's something I had to deal with myself. I think my parents and your parents... And a lot of people who has, who have dysfunction in their families, I think they have children because they think it's going to fix them. And I think that they think that the child is going to fix the family. Mm-hmm. I think that they think like, well, when my mom and dad see me be a good mom and dad, everything's going to come together and it's going to be this great big happy thing, mm-hmm. right?
1: And and I'm going to do the opposite of what my parents did completely oblivious that you are swinging the pendulum the other way. Yeah. But, I'm going to be overly permissive. And then, it's,
0: well, yeah. I think it, more than that, or maybe I'm just speaking to my, own, from my own experience, which is the like, once I do this and I think what happens is, is you have a kid and all that shit that happened to you came up because you look at them and you go, I was that once. And I think you get two choices. You either go, okay, Shit. I'm going to stare that in the face and realize that it happened to me and that I'm not healed. and Or you block it out and then you resent the kid for not doing the thing that you expected it to do, which is to fix the family. And then the whole stupid carnival starts all over. And so when my kid arrived, there was a lot of stuff that I really had to look at where I was like, oh, I'm still really hurt about this. And I had that, and 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 let me tell you, can you it, give any examples to to
1: make like, it a little more specific? Any instances you can think of?
0: Just like even stuff like my my, like my fam, you know, like my family. Like my mom tried to fix my dad because he was he was suffering from alcoholism and he was suffering from Vietnam, and you know, and she tried so much to fix my dad. I think to, for her fantasy of what she thought the family should be, that I think like. She stopped kind of paying attention to us, and it's like I made that makes sense to me on some level too. Mm -hmm. I not I don't resent her for that. It's the most natural thing in the world at all. But I'll tell you where I made a mistake, Mm -hmm. and I mean this is that I thought that my I had a couple years ago before before right when we were on getting pregnant. I thought like oh man, this kid's just gonna come into the world and fix everybody, and then they'll see that I'm not the identified patient. They'll see that I'm so good. And and was this a vague feeling or a conscious No, I thought? feel like it was like a conscious articulated. Uh, maybe it was a vague feeling. I don't think I articulated it in those words. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was the role that, you know, had I known that that was the role I was playing. And as soon as my kid arrived on planet Earth, I was like, oh, shit, not. You know what, man? You are a baby. You don't. None of this shit is your responsibility. Like yeah. you get, you get to do whatever you want. You be you. However, you, I'm gonna make my own mistakes. I am not saying that I won't, or I'm gonna be some perfect. I am not God. God is a perfect parent. I am a flawed, <laughs> fucked up, fallible, impatient, irrational. You know what I mean? Like I'm not perfect. But what I do know is, I look at that kid and I go. I don't have to – he doesn't get assigned a role. Hmm. He's him. He's not the emissary that was meant to come to earth to put together these, like, generations of people who couldn't deal with their own shit with the expectation that once they had kids that they'd be, like, Hmm. the perfect family.
1: I don't know. I think a toddler can heal intergenerational (laughs) trauma. So I guess this is the end of our interview.
0: (laughs) That's, we, I guess, it, that's where we beg to, to differ. We're gonna have
1: to agree to disagree. I just
0: want to admit that I made the same mistakes that my yes. parents did. That's I a did. beautiful thing, you know. I, I or, um, or, 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 I'm assuming they, they, they have not, come, they have not, say, I maybe you can tell me this interview. They have not come to me and been like, you know, we did a lot of thinking, and uh, it turns out we, when we had you, it's because you know, I've not, we've not had that conversation. Right, right. <laughs> What did bottoming out on on drugs look like uh for you oh man, I mean a lot of it, again, it's more the, like the specifics of my story have to deal with other people, and I want to respect their anonymity but what really bottoming out on drugs because I was a heroin addict what i what it was was i was I was actually addicted to prescription pills, and I stole prescription pills from a friend of mine who had cancer. And then I got into like stealing doctor's pads and I was kind of like ripping off Dwayne Reed's and CVS's with fake prescription, um, signatures. And it was a little bit easier to get away with back then, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I know it's very hard now. And what ended up happening for me was I got strung out on heroin and my bottoming out There was some, there was a specific situation that happened in a relationship, but I don't want to talk about that other person. But, but that's not even, it's superfluous to the story. What, for me, it was like, it just didn't work anymore. And that felt like the biggest betrayal. I remember for this like week before I went to rehab, um, I thought like, I was so mad that the drugs didn't work. It felt like the worst betrayal. Right. The volume of the world couldn't come down anymore. I was like, the volume always felt like a fucking 10. Mm -hmm. And like drugs would take to about like a one five. That's such a great way of putting it. You know, and I was like, I can, I can deal with this now. You know, but after that bottom, it was like, we're going to stay on 10 no matter how much drugs you do. (laughs) I was like, are you serious? Like, everyone else in my life has abandoned me. And, you know, I, you personify this kind of relationship that you have with drugs and um what ended up happening for me on that was like uh i t- i called my friend i was like i think i'm gonna kill myself or try rehab <laughs> <laughs> He's like well why don't you try rehab i was like all right yeah i can, i can do that
1: i, I like lo- like in uh in recovery there's the the saying look you can die an ugly drug addicted death or you can ask for help, and the addict says, "I'm gonna to have to get back to you." Yeah, on that.
0: yeah. It's also like that's a funny thing. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's it's more prevalent, or it's sort of like a little bit more saturated the response that you see in alcoholics, but you definitely see it in human beings. I feel like it's part of the human condition, where you're like, "Help me, help me," and somebody goes, "Sure," and you go, "Not that kind of help." Exactly. We want to control. No. That's the, that is And it's like, are you fucking crazy? That is the hardest thing
1: to surrender to is the form that help arrives in. It's like, oh, uh, I don't know, the ambulance drivers they're, they're wearing white after Memorial Day.
0: Yeah. The, the The quicker you can do that. And the more that you can do that, and the and if you let those dominoes fall, it's it for me it's become Possible to deny the existence of God. I was just going to say the same thing. Is There is a spiritual component to letting go. No, but I just mean it's like the more I'm like, yeah, okay, well, this showed up here. We're like, all right, I'm going to do this. That's and it you, was like, you, oh, you. my God. Like you, you just see so many of the, the things, a chain of events no longer seems coincidental. Exactly. exactly. Right? Like, I, and, and I mean, it becomes, it's not, that's, that's an unfair I, semantic. It becomes impossible to see that as coincidental impossible you're like there's no possible way for the stars to have align like that right. but it, it it is completely based on the idea of like i'll surrender my free will and go like okay mm. all right like if this is what the help looks like all right it's not what i would have chosen for myself but i'm the one that got myself here so yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, a friend of mine has a an analogy for it that i like he said you know we we roll in with four flat tires and the sport group tells us work on the carburetor and we're like you don't understand yeah, I've got four, flat, four tires. flat tires my life is shit I, you know I we have, have to start from the work car- on the, the carburetor. carburetor but why it's it's four flat work eventually we get tired of saying but why we work on the carburetor we finished we wash our hands and we look and the four tires have been inflated somehow
0: yeah i the the thing for me too about that stuff is that like i remember being clean for not even that long like 30 some days and i remember um i laughed i was like this it was so it was like a it was so i felt so foreign to me mm-hmm. i was like where did that come from <laughs> the first time i didn't take myself seriously yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was great, man, to have a bunch of people that I was around that that were all on the same path that I was at that particular moment in time and yeah, I just I love that. I, and and that's the other thing too is that I really realized especially in this like um voc- I think my vocation is just so strange cuz you doesn't fulfill you in that it doesn't hit me in that same spot where that like laugh felt foreign to me it's cool it's a sick job it's really fun to do it, the the thing when i'm making the thing that's fun right because it's like it's the same and you get to play really interesting off-kilter characters which is- that that's like not even that exciting that's like you know i'm like oh that's My dad or my uncle or my brother. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's just everybody in my family. Or like some iteration of them. Uh, Going to... Traveling to places, interacting with people that I would have never met before, that's much more exciting for me. But nothing sort of like... It doesn't hit the same spot as uh, the concept of sort of like loving service. And if I... If you would have told me that 15 years ago, I probably would have punched you in the face. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't... I didn't believe that. I thought that that was... The dumbest. I was like, "That's impossible. You can't. You're not going to be fulfilled by that." And so, have you ever read any Richard Rohr? You know Richard Mm-mm, Rohr. No. Richard Rohr. Is I refuse a, to. He's, no, he's, he's a no, Franciscan reason. monk who wrote a book called Falling Upwards, and he talks about recovery and and how it's. Um, uh, you should check it out. Or you're I I like Richard Rohr a lot. Yeah. I think your listeners would like Richard Rohr too. Okay. Yeah, I'll, interesting I'll dude. Out. He wrote he he. He runs a center, um, a center for contemplative action, I think, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But kind of like a Franciscan mystic, and he gets into a lot of this stuff too. Yeah.
1: If you could go back, if you could get in a time machine and go talk to yourself at any age, what age would you choose? And not that you would alter your path, but just
0: to yeah, comfort that, I just comfort know young now, you. What What would you have? I would have said, gone back to like my eleven-year-old self and been like, "Yeah, man, what you're seeing is totally real. Don't, don't let anybody talk you out of that. Don't let anyone convince you that this bad thing didn't happen. Or, and it's okay. Like, it's it's bad. Bad things happen to everybody, and you're not gonna be spared that. But, you know, because I think that that's the one thing that I. I'm constantly trying to tell myself about raising my son right now mm-hmm. which is like when he's like but you did I'd be like you know what you're absolutely right and the reason I did that was because I was afraid and I want to do the best thing but I'm not equipped with all of those things and I'm not going to invalidate your reality it doesn't mean that you just get to do whatever you want but your perception yeah. of it is, necess- is not incorrect yeah. because it's your perception of it and it's so
1: good for kids to see someone model humility apologizing, uh, especially men, you know? Yeah. I, men. I
0: also think though, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that men don't do either. And I see this a lot too, is like, I feel like men result to abuse and violence because they actually don't know how to set boundaries for themselves either. Mm-hmm. They just let people walk all over them. So then that's like, that's how you like kick the dog. Right. So you also need to have your kid be like, no to other people around you. Like, no is a complete answer. And mm-hmm. I don't have to do that why it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter yeah and
1: on the on the flip side what other people think of me is none of my business
0: uh, yeah i mean i i've seen this with my family in the last couple of years when i had to start when i said no and meant it it became some like it's like thor's hammer it like shattered they couldn't they lost their i'd be like no that's yours and it's like what how dare you and to, if Those you, aren't your lines in the play we've been acting 100%, out. Hundred percent, right? And so that that's what I suggest to a lot of people who deal with this stuff. It's like you you try that word no, like and and don't no, and then reserve it in your right. mind. Just, no, feel thank you. the no. You feel that no right in your solar plexus behind that that space that's out of the nasal part and into this heart center. If you feel no in your heart. That's like building the Great Wall of China. No one can – I've seen it happen. It's incredible. Yeah. Right? I, I have physically
1: felt taller after after saying no. Like the first time I set a boundary uh, with my mom, I was in my 20s. Oh, and really? I remember I remember telling her, you can go ahead and cry, but I'm not changing – you know, my stance on this, and she stopped crying, like, on a dime. It right, was, it, it, they don't know what to do. And,
0: and then they get mad. Yes.
1: And, they go, oh, and I remember hanging the phone up, and when I stood up, I felt taller. And yeah. I just remember, like, oh, my God. There's so much out there I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's, I remember that, too, that, like, feeling that same way, I think, with that idea of, like, no. Where I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole world I don't, yeah. I don't know about. Well, you know, what's
1: been harder for me is finding out when I've been the person that didn't have boundaries and somebody set a boundary with me because then I had to deal with the shame, you know? The oh, shame. once you
0: realized, yeah, yeah, I,
1: the shame of, of, of crossing like, someone's boundaries, being inappropriate, you know, being nosy, you know, gossiping, whatever, whatever it was that I that I did, being the the violator rather than the violated.
0: Yeah, but the thing about that is that, like, as long as that's just to me, that's always like the signal of growth. You wouldn't have had the capacity to understand that there was a, a sort of like boundary that you broke. You'd be like, that person's an asshole. like that's how normal people react to it when they're like hey man why are you doing that you're hurting my feelings and like this is my stuff over here and i love you but this shit's not cool right most people go well fuck you (laughs) it's like that that's the other thing i think that's really hard for me to deal with with a lot of people that are especially in my family of origin they're like wait you're angry with us and you love us and you have all these complicated feelings it's like yeah it's subtle it's complex. That's a lot of them. I wish I could pick one. Right. I think that, yeah, that that, that
1: is the, the thing that's, when you come from dysfunction and feelings aren't talked about, to realize that you can be angry with somebody and still love them and, and and want to have a relationship with them. And, and then
0: also, it like, gets so nuanced when so I'm like, I'm angry, I love you, and I hate that I am both angry and I love you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes. it's so much, and it's it's okay. And it's so, and guess what? It's okay for you to feel that too. Yeah. It's okay for you to be angry at me.
1: We can work through this. You
0: know? Yeah, but uh, that was the funny thing when I was like, I did say this year, I was like, hey, if this was the best. I said, this to some members of my family. It's like, well, if you don't understand my my position, you can sit down with like a trauma therapist and, you know, I can say my piece and they can explain it. And they were like, well, it sounds like you fucking need therapy. That was what was told to me. I was like, okay. Uh, Do you want to do a uh, plug for uh, the movie? You got coming up? The movie doesn't need me (laughs) to plug it. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, so I'm in the sequel to the, I mean, it chapter two. It's a great, uh, it's a great big action adventure, kind of like old school popcorn movie. And literally the, the way that I'll tell you this, because it's been, you know, kind of like it's been really intimate. I got this movie not, I feel like as a result of like hard work or me, or, it's my time and I deserve it. I got this movie because I did write, by my wife and I had a family and the universe went like alright here's you're gonna need this for this kid and I was like okay thanks I don't think it was a result of like I so great on the wire or it's so like once I did, like, right by the small things, like, you'd be surprised about what opens up. I don't know. Uh, you worked on the carburetor. I don't think that that... <laughs> gr- I don't think that that grace is reserved for anyone specifically. I think it's available to everyone. I think it's just for actors. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, dude, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And... Uh, Thanks so much for, for coming on and, uh, and going deep. Yeah. Appreciate thanks, it. man. Yeah. And it was nice getting a chance to sit down and, uh, and talk to him. And I love when, when a guest who's, who's there doing publicity doesn't have to open up or go deep and they do. I just love that. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by how to, it's a new podcast and, uh, the, the description of it is, what if Dear Abby was an investigative reporter? Each week, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Charles Duhigg takes, takes on listeners' toughest problems in the new Slate podcast, How To. Check out their recent episode, How to Stop Being Anxious. Charles meets listener Matt, who suffers daily anxiety attacks. He introduces him to a psychologist and habit expert to figure out what's triggering the attacks, how to stop anxious mental patterns, and to help Matt. Get back control over his head and his life. Subscribe to How To, an Apple podcast or wherever you listen, and learn more at slate.com slash podcasts slash how to. And there's a hyphen between how and to. I'm going to read some surveys. And um, before I do that, There's a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you guys feel so inclined. We always need financial support, and I forget to mention it sometimes and instead just silently freak out. Um, One of the ways you can do it is by becoming a monthly donor on Patreon. You can commit to as little as a dollar a month, and it means the world to me. And if you're doing it through Patreon, occasionally you'll qualify for bonus content or maybe you can enter into a raffle to win a, a cutting board, uh, all kinds of stuff and sometimes I'll post pictures of Gracie. Anyway, you can go to patreon.com/mentalpod and the links to all this stuff is is on the podcast. Anyway, this is uh, a love survey filled out by a woman who calls herself fufu. That was my nickname for actually Our classes, nickname for a woman I went to grade school with. I wonder if this is her. She writes, I love when someone tags me in a funny meme on Facebook. It's so small, but it means they were thinking of me, and I love it. I do love that feeling, too. And there's really the opposite feeling when somebody tags you on something that's promotional or They enter you into a group conversation, a group of people you've never met before. I just want to slap them when they do that. Jose writes about his loves. When a stranger smiles or says hello in a genuine way, that's a great one. Drinking fountains that have really cold water. Sharing movies, TV shows, and music with my kids for the first time. Uh, Things that I enjoy and seeing how they react to it. And then comments to make the podcast better, still holding out for a photo of Gracie's butthole. Her most recent haircut is very short and her there is no hiding that butthole of hers. I used to there was a running joke when Herbert, my previous one of my previous dogs, was alive. He also had a very (laughs) prominent butthole. And there was this ongoing inside joke about Herbert's butthole. Um, So, uh, you know what? Maybe I will uh, post on Patreon a picture of... You know what? I got to run it by her first because that's disrespectful to do it without her knowing. E shares about her loves. When the sun is almost set, the car windows are down, and you're cruising around when suddenly a song comes on and it seems to fit the moment perfectly. Oh, that is a great one. That is a great one. And I'm so glad you guys are taking this survey because I have been in this funk lately and I know I'm gonna come out of it, but it's really nice feeling the positivity of people sharing loves. They are they are helping me. This is the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a a woman who I, I don't know how to quite pronounce the name she used, but I am less than three SSRIs. I think that's what it is. Anyway, about her depression, she writes major depression, leaving home, getting exhausted by one interaction with a human, returning home, getting into bed, and pretending to be part of my mattress while a scrolling banner of reasons why I am worthless. Why I'm a worthless piece of shit plays through my mind. Holy fuck do I relate to that one when I'm having one of those days. I'm sure there's a lot of people too that feel like you just described their battle with depression. About her ADD, ADHD, she writes, Constantly having to choose between appearing lazy, careless, and irresponsible, or disclosing a highly stigmatized and misunderstood neurological disorder. About her anxiety, I feel like a boiling kettle. The steam is rising and creating pressure in my heart, clouding my thoughts and making me shake and bursting into tears. It's the only way to release. About her bulimia, my order from the menu is always contingent on how private the washrooms are. Wow. That is... That makes it so real. About her love addiction. I have two gears. Fuck you, you fucking loser. And please don't leave me. I'll die. About living with an abuser. I lived with an emotionally abusive mother growing up. It was like our interactions had subtitles that only I could read. Oh, the old reading between the lines, walking on eggshells, trying to figure out what they mean. A snapshot from her life. I always thought I was more anxious than depressed, but looking back, I realize I've battled with depression since childhood. I vividly remember the first day of fourth grade, getting to the schoolyard with a new backpack, fresh school supplies, and seeing my friends for the first time since the previous year. It was a bright and beautiful morning. The crisp wind was blowing through the trees. I remember looking around and thinking to myself, none of this matters. Why am I even alive? Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Al shares some loves. Uh, And Al is female. She writes, I love my boyfriend's cat and my cat's relationship. They're both big boys. Think 18 plus pounds. When they met, my cat, Milosh was so laid back and curious about Tyler, my boyfriend's cat. And Tyler wanted nothing to do with Milosh." After four to five days, suddenly they became best friends, and the parentheses, and we're pretty sure they're boyfriends. They lick each other excessively, mostly on the face and butt, lay, touching and holding each other, and play fight constantly. They make me happy every day, and we send pics and videos of them doing cute things. Best boys ever. Mm. So many of these are about animals, and I love all of them. It's amazing how much I depend every day on just interactions with Gracie to kind of bolster my mood and bring me into the present moment. And she she never disappoints me. Right now she's laying on the bed, chilling out. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself crying in a carnival, kiss crying in a carnival Casio. I think it's supposed to mean casino. My boyfriend, his brothers, and I are at a carnival-themed casino right now. We've been trying to win prizes all day, and I was finally able to win a big prize in a group game of whack-a-mole. I was so happy to win the prize, a jumbo plush unicorn. But my boyfriend suggested giving it as a gift to his abusive and alcoholic mother, who we were trying to avoid on our fun day out. She's a verbally abusive, controlling, and manipulative person, and she's a violent alcoholic who thinks going and getting help for two days at a clinic means she has a clean slate. I just can't stand uh, having to grin and bear giving my gift to someone I can't stand. So I'm now hiding in the bathroom until I can make the tears of my rage run dry. I feel for you, man. I'm going to give you a little bit of tough love in case you're listening. Nobody is making you give that unicorn to her. And maybe it's time to have a conversation with that boyfriend about your needs and your wants. Because, you know, codependency is pleasing somebody else, ignoring our needs, and then resenting them when we're the one that took the action of doing what it is that they wanted but what we didn't want. Because it's easier to blame somebody else than to change ourselves. Amanda writes about her love, sending my partner funny memes from the other room and hearing his laugh. I save them until we're home together so we can cackle or giggle as much as we want. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by a trans man who calls himself, once a Marine, always in pain. And he writes, I served in the Marine Corps from 2008 to 2017. I came out as a transgender man in 2016 after it was allowed to come out and not be forced out of service. I was also still in when Trump tweeted that he didn't want transgender people to serve in the military. I was medically retired due to multiple injuries from grueling PT sessions and and bought my first home back in my home state of Washington. One of the first packages I received was an envelope from the Marine Corps. It had a red binder with a certificate inside. It was a form letter from the president thanking me for my service and congratulating me on my retirement. Signed by Donald Trump. I can't decide if I want to burn it or send it back. Thank you for sharing that. I can't imagine what a complicated piece of paper that must be for you. Leela shares some of her loves. Sitting indoors listening to the rain beating on the windows, knowing I am safe inside and enjoying the sound. That is such a such a comforting. Sound just feeling like wherever it is you're 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 in is is like a little awesome nest, being so engrossed in a book that I miss the train home, but there 's another one in five minutes, so i enjoy I just enjoy the extra reading time and listening to one of my favorite songs on the headphones and finding myself mouthing along the lyrics enthusiastically and doing a little dance in the middle of a big crowd. oh, I love that one i 'm jealous of people that can be that. Unself-conscious in that moment but i love it i love it this is a love a bunch of loves filled out by a guy who calls himself ash ketchum uh, he writes the words conjugate and penultimate sun showers watching and listening to heavy rain from the safety of a doorway where you're only getting splashed just a little bit because the raindrops are so big they bounce up to you. God, that's so descriptive. When the DJ in a club is actually good and I dance so hard, I'm covered in sweat and lost in the music and everything else fades away. Uh, Following the last one, when I leave a bar so late and satisfied from dancing and the train gets to the subway as soon as I do and my car is empty except for other tired night owls. The smell of my own pits a few hours after the deodorant wears off. How empty the city gets on holidays, where you can walk around without bumping into stupid tourists or people looking at their phones. When is the perfect temperature to wear a hoodie or sweater and shorts? Wearing a hoodie or jacket without a shirt. Hugging friends for a long time. Crying at sad anime. Using a towel just out of the dryer. Holding hands with my male friends. Grinding in an RPG with a great battle system while playing a long podcast in the background. Finding shoes that fit and aren't ugly or too expensive. In parentheses, fourteen and a half double E doesn't really exist out there. Holy shit, that is huge. And let's all just pause and think about the size of his cock. Uh, Arguing with very certain friends about video games or comics. Any comments to make the podcast better? Paul should do a calendar of tasteful nudes as different characters he's been doing, including douchebag DJ. Actually, technically, uh, his name is Mean DJ Voice. Um, Maybe one at a workbench, making a cutting board only in a tool belt. It was so hot the other day. I think it was like 100, 105 out, and I really wanted to woodwork, and my backyard is very private. And... (laughs) All I had on was a pair of sneakers, and I went out there for about 20 minutes and did some woodworking, and I kind of laughed as I was doing it, and the other part of my brain was going, if you get hurt, you will so regret having to answer the question, uh, how did you cut your dick? How about a segue to one of our sponsors? Jetson probiotics, we talked about them earlier in the podcast. I mentioned that 90% of your serotonin, serotonin? That's a little different than serotonin. Serotonin is uh, the healthy probiotic in the guts of uh, people in positions of authority. 90% of your serotonin can be found in your gut, which is why a healthy gut has a huge impact on your mental health. And to get a healthy gut, you need an effective probiotic which is why you should try Jetson, the world's first seasonal probiotic. Jetson sends a fresh bottle to your door every month and a new formulation every season. Go to wearejetson.com and enter code MENTAL for 30% off your first month. And then finally, this is a love filled out by a woman who calls herself the bird's name is Flipper. And she writes, every morning, my bird starts humping his favorite glove. Once he's done, he bows his head and starts chirping and squeaking adorably. I always just stop, whatever I'm doing, and listen to him sweet talk his favorite glove. It makes my day. What is a bird glove? Is that something that, uh, is that the name of the the stick or whatever it is that they rub their beak on? Or (laughs) does your bird have a fetish? Is your bird into LaTeX? That's okay. That's okay. I just really wanted to leave you guys with the image of a bird fucking an inanimate object and squeaking. Anyway, I I hope you uh, enjoyed today's episode. And if you're out there and you're and and thank you so much for filling out the loves. It really boosted my mood. I needed a break from the, the really heavy surveys today. Um, I, I was finding myself kind of dreading going through the shame and secret surveys. And when I saw how many of the loves you filled out, I was like, yes, I I need to read those on today's podcast because I, I just need some positivity in my, in my life this week. Um, and anyway, if you're out there and you're struggling, just never forget that, that you're not alone. And thank you so much for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful Everybody I know is weird is way bizarrely beautifully, fucked up, bizarrely beautifully, fucked, up bizarrely way. beautifully fucked up in some weird way.